Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church and School right here in the heart of Chicago. I pray that you find hope and peace in the message of Christ and Him crucified for you in your life right now. Thank you for listening. And please, if you'd like to support the mission going on right here, uh, please go to our webpage, stjames-lutheran.org to donate. Thank you. With God, all things are possible. With human beings, zilch. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. A couple weeks ago, I was meeting with a newer member here, and uh, he actually asked me, what do I need to give to St. James? What do you need? How are the finances? How can I help? It's actually kind of cool. Like, it's a really awesome question, right? But he's also kind of asking the sense of, like, what do I need to give? You know what I mean? Like, what's the level? What's the line? What's the percentage, you know? What's the charge, if you will? So there's a little bit of that, too. What do I need to give to be a Christian? What, what do we do here? To be a part of St. James, what's that dollar amount? Maybe you're asking that question. We're talking about Commitment Sunday, Consecration Steward Sunday. We're going to commit ourselves to giving here at St. James. And we've been kind of asking you that. What, where are you at? Think about it, about your commitments. Plan it out. Everybody's different. You're at different places in your life, but everybody's the same percentage-wise, right? And maybe you're just starting out, you know, and you're like, this is the first time I've had an income and I'm planning out my finances, and I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to give 2% of my finances. Fine. Some of you, 10%, right? That's the tithe number of the, of the Bible, 10%. What do I have to give to be a member here? Think about that. This fellow in Jesus, uh, in Matthew, has an even better question. What is it? What do I have to do? To live forever. I mean, that's a good question. I mean, he's getting right down to the point. This is classic St. James sort of guy here. Cut the BS. What do I got to do to go to live forever? I love this. That's a good question. And what Jesus says is interesting. And Tom, last yesterday at our Bible study, pointed this out. Almost always when Jesus is asked a question, he doesn't answer it. He kind of goes around, he almost, or he tells the person, basically, your question's stupid. I got a better question you should be asking. <laughs> but man, this guy asks a direct question? Jesus gives a direct answer for the first time. And what does he say? Do the commandments. Does that surprise you? Maybe Jesus isn't Lutheran after all. Do the commandments, he says. And notice what this guy says. And by the way, Matthew calls this fellow a neonicrus. He's a young man. What that meant for, for, in Greek, it's like somebody in their 20s to late 30s. 
It sounds really like someone that fits St. James' demographic perfectly. Could be living right here in Lincoln Park. He's that kind of a guy. And what does this guy say? Do the commandments, and this fellow comes back with what? Which ones? Now, I, it's kind of, what, is, what does that mean? I mean, at first, don't you think this fellow is, he's God-fearing, he wants to know, he's asking Jesus a question, how, do, how can I please God, what do I got to do? Jesus says, do the commandments, and now he's a good Lincoln Park resident too, negotiator. Which ones exactly? You tell me what those are, and I will nail those. What do you think about that? What does this fellow really mean when he says this? Which ones? What's the least I can do? Right? Which ones exactly? I don't want to do too many. You know what I mean? It'd be a waste of time. If you could tell me exactly what they are. And this would have been a conversation, by the way, in the synagogues among the rabbis. Common question. You had the Ten Commandments, but then you had 613 little rules. And they would debate as to which one is the most important. And they'd have conversations as, what's, what exactly should you do? And what does it really mean to kill somebody? You could, that could last for hours. So it's not crazy. This guy's asking Jesus this question. Which one? Which one's the most important? But what's his real goal? The least I have to do. Isn't that weird? Do you do this? What's the least I have to do to be a Christian? What's the minimum? Just give me the minimum. I think we do, don't we? How often should I go to church? Well, you know, at least once a, once a month. Okay. How much should I? Well, you should at least give 10%. Okay, got that. We do this, don't we? We like those numbers. We like that direction to make it easy on us. Is this the right attitude, though? So the guy, so Jesus says, so he says, which ones? And Jesus answers the question again. He says, and he he basically lists off the, the last part of the Decalogue, right? Don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't lie about other people, honor your mom and your dad, and basically love your neighbor as yourself. And the fellow says, I did it. Now, what do you think about that? Do you think he did it? I think he's actually a good guy. I think if... If this was a person in your community, you would call him a leader in your community. He's a Warren Buffett, not a Donald Trump, in that he's like got a pretty good reputation. There's not a lot of drama about him. Smart, earned it, doesn't wasteful. People look up to him, kind person, philanthropic. Uh, But he's a decent guy. I've done them all. But then what what does he ask after that? What, what, am, what am I lacking still? I don't know what that means. I wonder if he's really, like Luther had a moment where he just tried to follow God's law still perfectly, but he never quite felt good about himself. You know what I mean? He got rid of this bad behavior and that bad behavior. He became a monk. He separated himself from society. He was in the word all the time. He was doing all the right things. But as Luther realized, like, he still felt like a sinner. 
I wonder if this guy's there. What am I lacking? Or he's just being that, I got all that down. Is there anything else so I can get that prize of eternal life? What does Jesus say? What commandment has not been said yet? You got don't kill, love your neighbor as yourself, all those. What one has not been said yet? What's the first one? You shall have no other gods before me. Now Jesus is a good teacher, and good teachers get people to realize things and not just tell them. And so instead of Jesus saying it, he gets, them, he gets this guy to discover something, and he says what? All right, you want to be perfect? Let's go. Sell all you have and give it to those that need it more than you do and come and follow me. And the guy hears this. His head drops down. And he walks away, and Matthew tells us he was very successful. He had accomplished a lot. He had worked hard to get to where he was. He had security in what he had accomplished, whether it's his retirement plan or his position in the company or his nice house. It took a lot of work. He did it all by himself. Couldn't imagine not having it being without it, just being naked in the world. And so he leaves the conversation. Jesus looks at the disciples and says, it is more difficult for a rich man to enter heaven. It's almost impossible. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. I want you to listen to this. We love to take that phrase and and make that eye of the needle just big enough for us. You notice that? Well, Jesus, what, he, he doesn't really mean this. You know, he kind of means like, you hear some ding-dongs are like, well, there was a, a gate in Jerusalem called the eye of the needle, and, and uh, a, a camel could barely fit through it. No, there's not. The eye of the needle is this big, and a camel is, I don't know, this, who's ever seen a camel? This big. It doesn't happen. You can't. What in the world's going on here? What's the problem with this guy? Does this apply to you? Are you that 35-year-old successful person that says you want to do just enough to go to heaven? But in the end, You've got different gods than the God that you think you're talking to. This guy had comfort and confidence and security. He had other gods. Because if you want to find out what your God is, what you do is you find out what is the thing that I can't lose? What is the thing that if I have it, I have peace and happiness? And if it's removed, I will just be a mess. And there you'll find out your God. Does that hit home? This guy's not some jerk, rich person. See, we always think other people are rich. 
And we always think if someone has a lot, we think, well, they're just spoiled and someone gave them all they have. It's never us. But I want you to think about this guy. He's a successful, hardworking person. What if what he has is built by his own hands and his careful planning and his good investments? He's been awarded these things. He's a leader in a society. Can you relate to this kid a little more? Because that's what he is. And that's why the disciples, when they hear about this, they said, holy cow, if this successful, good guy who's an upstanding person in our community, who's at synagogue all the time, who gives 10% of his giving, if he can't be saved, then who can? That's why they asked this. What gods do you have? You know, the funny thing is, 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 uh, and we, we all do, I certainly have my gods that I can't imagine not having. Any other God except for the one true God doesn't stop demanding. Never done. You can never put enough in your retirement account to feel safe, right? You can never quite have enough to feel truly secure. You always wonder, as the stock market go up and down? Your job can never be quite enough because you might not have it tomorrow. And yet we still sacrifice to those gods. We still pray to those gods. We still put all our hopes in these gods that we know never really satisfy. And they just take and they take and they take. And demand and demand. Jesus looks at the disciples who said, my goodness, if that good guy can't be saved, who can? And Jesus says, with human beings, it's impossible. Rich or poor, by the way. People stuck on these ridiculous obsessions with with sand castles. But with God, anything is possible. This is not a story about how you need to give more. Jesus isn't giving practical advice about giving to the poor. Jesus is saying, are your gods getting in your way? Is God really God of your life? Or do you have other gods that you'll throw God out of the way to worship them? That's a good question, isn't it? I want you to think about that. I certainly need to. And quite frankly, with this young man, repent. You're on the wrong train, man. That train is going nowhere. But with God, all things are possible. Because the beautiful thing about this story, and I hope, I hope that this guy who went away, I hope he found himself in Jerusalem a couple years later. I'm sure he did. I know he did with all the crowds going to Passover. And I hope that he was one of those that watched the same Jesus walk before him up to Golgotha. 
And I hope he was able to witness this Jesus who said, come and follow me, and yet nobody did because it was just him with the cross. And I hope that he got to see this Jesus who loved God and loved his neighbor as himself go alone to that cross and indeed give up everything and not for his own righteousness, but for you. And see how insane God is that he loves this rich young man as well as that poor widow and that he's the one that gives up everything for you and has. And in his name, you are forgiven of clinging to other gods. As dumb as that looks, it looks dumb when we do, doesn't it? Forgiven by the blood of Jesus. You're forgiven of all your sins. You're forgiven of not loving your neighbor as yourself. Of You're forgiven of murder or walking by those who are hurting. You are forgiven of not honoring your mom and dad because Christ has done everything, laid it down for you and rose again. And you've been given everything. You. Nothing's impossible. Jesus does the impossible. God dies. And then he gives it all to sinners. That's why we are here. Because we have been given that treasure. Because God has served us and given us a treasure that can't be taken away. It can't go down with the stock market or the call from the doctor. Not even death can take you from that. Nothing is impossible with God, even your salvation. People oftentimes think of ministry in today's American culture as impossible. It's too crazy, it's too difficult, it's too anti-Christian, whatever that means. It's too immoral. People are lost in their own luxuries and wealth in America, or they're lost in their lifestyles. No one wants to hear about Jesus anymore. And people really say that about the city. You can't be church in the city. They're just lost on the metropolis and those sort of cosmopolitan needs and money and vanity and all these sort of things. People really say that. Do you know that? In the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, people go to seminary and literally come out thinking, I'm not going to go, don't send me to the city. It's too crazy there. Nothing is impossible with God. All things are possible with God. Your salvation, it's happened. St. James in the heart of the city, happening. People from all walks of life in this area coming to faith in Christ, happening. People like that rich young man coming to Jesus, it's happening. All things are possible with God, especially his ministry here at St. James. And we've got awesome things ahead. I hate it when people say that. I hear this all the time, how challenging it is in the city. It's a blast. And you have witnessed people come to faith, I certainly have, that you never would imagine. They're too far lost. They're too far gone. They don't care. It's amazing how God has brought you and different people to faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Like a camel going through the eye of a needle. That's the miracle that is St. James. And we've got awesome things ahead. How much should I give? I don't want you to think about that. How much do people need to know Christ? How many people out there don't have hope and peace? 
How many people are suffering because they've got themselves last to the wrong God? That's what we should be thinking about. And I want you to think about what we're going to be doing here the next couple of years. What shall I give? Let me tell you what we're going to do and see how you can be a part of it. We are going to be planning more churches. We are going to be walking along, alongside other churches. We already have. We've got this Ethiopian congregation coming to First, uh, First Bethlehem there in Wicker Park that we partnered with. Three days a week serving 40 to 50 immigrants here. We are going to be partnering with a major community thing like a Lincoln Park school. We're going to walk beside them, see what they need, or uh, Nourishing Hope, et cetera, or a Chicago Help Initiative. We're going to be a major partner for these helping organizations. We are going to have 30 to 40 more students at St. James School. We're going to build two more classrooms so that more families may have that hope and that peace in Christ that we get to have. There's lots of things we're going to do and are doing. You want to be a part of that? That's the question. God is doing something amazing here. How much should I give? What is there to give to? So I encourage you today to be a part of that. To look and see the need around us. And write that commitment down. But don't just think money. I want you to think time and talent. How can I be, how is God using me to make sure these things are happening? Why? Because you have everything in Christ. You don't need to worry about your salvation. He's taking care of it. You don't need to worry about your tomorrow. He's taking care of it. So join. Sign up. Get committed and enjoy the ride here at, uh, at St. James. In Jesus' name. Amen.